Good morning, NBC, and anybody else who's watching. I'm here today to preach a sermon, pretty sober sermon on apostasy. I think this is a sermon that needs to be preached, a text that needs to be heard during the in the midst of this uh, coronavirus pandemic, in the midst of a lot of people, uh, you know, just questioning what God is doing, questioning things. I think this text is very important. So I want to preach it. It's from Hebrews 6, verses 4 through 9. That's the text for this morning. Hebrews 6, 4 through 9. I'll give you a couple minutes, a minute or so to uh, grab your Bibles. Hebrews 6, 4 through 9. The title, the theme of this, this message this morning is, Those who fall away will perish. Those who endure to the end will live. Those who fall away will perish, and those who endure to the end will live. So let's see what God has to say to us this morning. This is the word from the living God. Let me pray first. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, for this opportunity. I just pray that you will help me decrease as you increase. And I pray that uh, professed Christians who haven't been born again, will that this passage will pierce their hearts, and that today will be the day of salvation for them, Lord, that you will work in hearts. For those who you have brought out of the world into the kingdom, God, I, I pray that today will be an encouraging passage, or maybe even a, a, a means of grace in a sense where you can bring anyone who's a real Christian who's backsliding or tempting to backslide back to you. Lord, we know you use your word in many ways. And um, we ask that you to do a powerful thing this morning, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, before, before I start, even with the text, I want to define what apostasy means. And I also want to use a couple couple testimonies, a couple of things that were in the news the past year or so about recent apostates of the Christian faith. Let's define biblical apostasy. Apostasy means falling away. Okay? Falling away. Apostates are those who have fallen away from the true faith abandoning what they formerly professed to believe. Before we get into the text, I want to start the message with these sobering words from these three recent apostates who have left the faith quite vocally. The first one, quote, What type of loving, sensitive, omnipresent, omnipotent being wants to condemn most of his beautiful creation? to a fiery hell at the end of all this. Anybody know who that is? Green Bay Packers quarterback and former professed Christian Aaron Rodgers. Those are the words of Aaron Rodgers. I'll tell you what type of powerful being will send creation to a fiery hell, Aaron. One who is also holy and just and powerful. The next one. Quote, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith. It doesn't bother me. 
Like what bothers me now is nothing. I am so happy, so at peace with the world. It's crazy. This is a soapbox moment. So here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How can God be loved yet send 4 billion people to a place all because they don't believe? Unquote. Church, these words are from ex-worship leader Marty Sampson, who used to sing for Hillsong United for many years. And the last one, this was probably the most shocking one for me. Author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, apostate, Pastor Josh Harris stated, Quote, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I'm not a Christian. Unquote. Church, these are sobering quotes. Sobering words. Sad. Very sad. These are not the first to fall away from the faith, as most of you guys know. And they won't be the last. One statistic I read stated that roughly 70% of Christian college students going off to school end up leaving the faith. Why am I informing you guys of all this? You guys are probably thinking, don't we have enough things to be depressed about, right? To be worried about, to be concerned about? What would be the reason to illustrate such a tragic truth that many people who are supposedly walking with the Lord at one point of their lives have fallen away, have fallen away, have become apostates? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because apostasy is real, church. Apostasy is real. It is a biblical truth that we cannot avoid. So many, some may be thinking about assurance of salvation at this point, right? Doesn't the gospel promise eternal life? It sure does. It sure does, but this assurance is not for professed Christians, right? But it is to all who are truly born again. We need to examine ourselves to see if we're truly in the faith. Apostle Paul commands us, the Bible commands us through Apostle Paul to examine ourselves. I love how Dr. James White explains the concept of assurance and how we can measure if we are truly born again. Dr. White states this, I have learned over the years through my scripture studies, through experience, that it is consistent, see, over time, that demonstrates true saving faith. Unquote. Consistency over time, church. Jesus said it this way, he who endures to the end will 
be saved. This doesn't mean that by enduring, we earn our salvation, right? That's not what, it, that's not what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is that those who are truly saved, although they will stumble at times, right, will continue to press on and persevere to the end. The Apostle Peter explained it this way. In 1 Peter 1.5, you can find this in 1 Peter 1.5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen? God causes us to be born again, church. He keeps us. He guards us all the way to the last day. He does it by working out true, biblical faith. And He works that through us. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, meaning the gospel, right? The righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Saved by faith, church. Living by faith. Bottom line, those who endure to the end will prove to be true children of God. True born again believers. Truly elect from the foundation of the world. To be set apart for the gospel of God, for the glory of God. But those who fall away will show that they were never really saved to begin with. So the theme of the message, the the main point that I will try to hammer into your hearts today, this morning, as I exposit God's word from Hebrews 6, 4 through 9, is those who fall away will perish. And those who endure to the end will live. They're in the midst of this pandemic, this coronavirus pandemic. Those who fall away from the faith will perish, will go to hell. But those who endure to the end will live. Aaron Rodgers, Marty Sampson, Josh Harris, as much as they would like to tell the world that they were able to walk away from God's saving hand. The truth is, what the Apostle John stated, they went out from us, but they never really belonged to us. 1 John 2.9. So let's look at our passage this morning. Let's get into this tension that the Bible gives us with the hope that in the end it will motivate us with uh, to live a life of True repentance and perseverance as opposed to becoming a, a, walking in 
a life of unrepentant sin and in danger of becoming an apostate. Again, it's Hebrews 6, 4 through 9. Hebrews 6, 4 through 9. It's the word of the living God. The Bible says, For it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed. And its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. So church, notice verse 4 through 6 here. For it is impossible. In the case of those who have been once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Since they are crucifying, once again, the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. So the first point of the sermon, the first part of the uh, of the theme of those who fall away will perish. Is right here. Those who fall away will perish. Those who fall away will go to hell. It's the first point of the sermon. So these three three verses here should wake us up. Amen? Like, are you kidding me? These three verses should shake our souls with fear and trembling. Now we know why Paul said, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? There's a reason why this passage is one of the most controversial in the the New Testament. The writer says that it is impossible for certain people, certain people to be restored to repentance. It's impossible for certain people to be restored to repentance. They're done. No more repentance. No more reconciliation. No more promises of eternal life. This is the reality of an apostate, church. This is the only place we, 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 where we see such harsh words? No. Actually, four chapters later in chapter 10 of Hebrews, chapter 10, verses 26, the writer states this, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Go on sinning. In this context means to apostatize and fall away from the true and final sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The only mediator between God and man. 
to go back to the Jewish system of sacrifices, denying the supremacy and finality of Jesus in the new covenant glory. So we have in these two passages, God saying through the writer that for certain people, there comes a time when God gives them over permanently. God giving people over to their sins shouldn't surprise us, right? Especially those who are walking through Romans in the Romans Mentorship Series at NBC. For instance, Paul tells us that all people outside of a relationship with Christ have already been given over. Right? As a result of the wrath of God being poured out on them for the failure to honor God as God or give thanks to Him. But the difference there is that the passage is followed with so much hope, right? Namely, the gospel of Jesus Christ declaring people righteous by grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. As Brother Nick talked about this past Sunday, Easter Sunday. But here, we don't see much hope. At least in the first few passages of Romans 6. We don't see another chance, right? The question becomes, isn't he writing to Christians? I don't understand this. Are we to understand that true believers can lose salvation? Again, it's impossible to be restored to repentance. No more sacrifice. No more cross. What does this really mean? What, what, is, the, what is the writer saying here? Context, context, context. Amen? My pastor, Pastor Chris, our pastor, most of you guys that are watching, our pastor loves to hammer that into our heads, right? Rightly so. Also, we need to let Scripture interpret Scripture, right? And recognize that we have the whole Bible at our disposal. So first we need to understand that yes, this book of Hebrews was originally written to Christians, specifically mostly Jewish Christians. But we need to understand that just like in our churches today, not everyone in the pews are saved. There's no reason why we should assume the same for the earlier churches. The Apostle Paul speaks of hypocrites in Titus, in Titus 1.16, where he says they profess, they profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deeds. Jesus explained this truth by saying there were always there will always be two groups in the midst of God's people, right? The wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats. Early church theologian Augustine called it the visible church and the invisible church. That's how he described it. Those professing Christians and those possessing And then we need to also remember the theme of the Hebrews is the supremacy of Christ. We need to understand that. That's the, th the theme of the whole book, the supremacy of Christ. The writer's telling the Jewish Christians over and over again, there's nothing to go back to. Christ is supreme over all. He's the culmination of all 
religion, a culmination of all the Old Testament, all of Christ, all of life, all for His glory, is the heart of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 1 says, uh, Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our prophets. Our, our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He speaks to us through His Son. Now back to the text, who are these people that God gives over to final apostasy in verse 6? Notice in verse 4 and 5, these people have four characteristics. Four characteristics. They've once been enlightened. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Spirit. And they tasted the word, the, the goodness of the word of God. So let's hit all four briefly and then get to the heart of the matter. The thrust of the passage is the, uh, the threat of apostasy, as I said earlier. He who falls away will perish. He who falls away will perish, and he who endures to the end will live, will be saved. So notice 4a. 4a says, they once been enlightened. This means that these people have come to understand the gospel intellectually. They have been enlightened to the truth. They have been around it enough, right? Let many of you guys, some of you guys have been, you grew up in a church, right? Some of you guys have been Christians for a while. You come to church often. Some of you guys every Sunday. You've been around the gospel. You've been around God's word. Enough where a light went on at one point for these guys. They've been around it and a light went on enough where they were, they were like, yeah, I believe the gospel. This makes sense to me. They understood the faith once for all given to the saints. They believed. They believed in some sense. They believed. They didn't have saving faith, but they believed. The next three phases, phases I will combine Notice the text says that they have tasted the heavenly gift and the goodness of God, the goodness of the word of God, and the power, the powers of the age to come. Does this speak to a uh, spiritual experience? I know on the surface it might. Sure. Certainly it, certainly it points to a spiritual experience, a spiritual experience. But the question becomes, is this a genuine Genuine saving spiritual experience. These are not strangers to the gospel or to the church. These are people who have come under conviction of the Holy Spirit. Who have been around the power of the Holy Spirit. They had a degree of blessing both through common grace and through their close intimate contact with genuine believers. Perhaps they have been healed. Right? We see that in churches. Perhaps they're around, they, they got healed. Um, remember a vast majority of Jesus' um, people around Jesus at the time, we see in the gospel that they were healed, right? But many that were healed, they weren't even saved. So maybe they were healed. Perhaps a demon cast, was cast out of them. They have heard the word of God and they have come to taste and, and feel and enjoy something of its power, its beauty, its truth. Maybe they had emotional experience. We hear a lot about that, right? In a lot of false uh, churches, a lot of prosperity, uh, word of faith type churches that are stuck on that experience. 
They have felt the wooing of the Spirit and have, been, have seen great and wonderful, wonderful things in the body of Christ. Those in Matthew 7, 22-23, they preached, they prophesied, right? They, they, they performed miracles, they cast out demons in Christ's name, but were not saved. Jesus said to them, I never knew you! Depart from me, you evildoers! These then have tasted the power and the blessings of the new covenant. But are they Jesus' sheep? Are they truly saved people that, that the writer has in mind? Church, some interpreters think they are. Roman Catholics would say that these were true believers who have fallen away from grace. The Church of Christ, the, that cult, the Church of Christ, the Jehovah's Witness cult, the Mormons, these are Christian cults. Works righteousness uh, religions that use the same terminology that we use, but they deny certain essential doctrines of the faith for once, once for all delivered to the saints. Groups who deny the sufficiency of Christ on the cross would say that these were Christians who have lost their salvation. Why is this a wrong interpretation? Well, for, for one, we were reminded earlier that true born-again believers are eternally secure from the foundation of the world. And I just used a couple of scriptures. There's many. Many scriptures about that. I preached on the golden chain of salvation a few weeks back. Right? That all those he predestined, he foreknew. All those he foreknew, he called. All those he called, he justified. All those he justified, he glorified. Who is he? God. It's a salvation that God is doing. He works it. Who started something in the beginning, he'll work it out. Bring it to completion. Philippians. Many. Many uh, verses. There are so many passages when God chooses... To save someone, nothing can throw his hand. It says, John MacArthur says, you can't lose salvation because it's, it's not yours to lose. It's not yours to lose. What he's getting at is, it's God's. Jonah 2.9 says, salvation is of the Lord. Philippians 1.9, again, he says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God gets the glory when He raises dead people to life and carries them to the end. Also, if you, if you do believe that these are true born-again believers, he, he, he is focusing on here in this passage, then you better be consistent. You better be consistent and also say that once, <laughs> that once they can never be brought back to God's favor. Because isn't that what the text says? That if they're truly a believer... They can't come back to God's favor. And I know the Catholic Church says you can. Right? All you got to do is go through the sacraments, penance. You're back into, into uh, God's grace. But this text says otherwise. So we got to be consistent here. Not one, not even, not even one, somebody from, you know, the Roman leaders would, would say that those who fall away Fall away from good. The Catholic Church wouldn't say that. So back to the question. He, is he talking to true believers? No. 
He's not. He's not talking to true believers when he's focusing. At this point, he's not focusing on true born again believers in the beginning of this. Uh, these first few verses in chapter six. True believers will endure to the end by the power of the Holy Spirit, church. But he's talking to us. He is talking to the church. He's talking to every professed believer, and in in that church and all around any church who walks through this passage. God is warning all of us who are part of the church, who experienced God's grace, who have heard the goodness of God preached from the pulpit, that if you fall away, if you apostatize after God has given you all this light, all this light, you have been brought before the heavenly realm through all of God's means of grace that He gives in the church, in a true biblical church that is, you're done. You could be done at that point. All that light He's given you, what else can He do? Just harden. Your heart has just been so hard. Week after week, just hardening the heart. Comes at a point where, where you're shown to be hardened unto reprobation. Why? Why can't he bring you back to repentance? Why can't you be brought back to repentance? 6b gives the answer. 6b gives the answer, church. Since they are crucified once again, the Son of God, to their own harm, and holding him up to contempt. Dr. James White commenting on this passage answers why they can't, he, he explains why they can't be brought back to repentance. He says, you cannot be restored to repentance because you will never bring yourself back to God in repentance. Church apostasy kills. We must endure to the end to be saved. As the first point states, he who falls away will perish. Don't misunderstand this message though, church. Yes, the Christian life, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. Many are struggling right now. No one walks in perfect obedience, right? Anybody who says that you can walk in perfect obedience as a Christian, that that is possible, that... Uh, what do you call it? Complete sanctification in a sense where you can get to that point. It's not biblical. But make no mistake about it. Being part of the church, right? The small groups like this that we are part of an NBC, raising hands in the air, doing ministry, but at the same time walking in unrepentant sin, refusing to put the flesh to death, could, and sometimes does, lead to apostasy. The Aaron Rodgers out there, uh, the Joshua Harris's, and many more who have walked away from the faith, make no mistake about it, they didn't leave overnight. They didn't leave overnight. It all started with getting comfortable, with backsliding, calling it, the Christian norm. I'm a carnal, carnal Christian. I'm a carnal Christian right now. I'm just backsliding. I'm a carnal Christian. Don't judge me. Everyone sins. Nobody's perfect. All sin is sin. 
This is a dangerous place to be. A dangerous place to be, church. The more we walk in sin, the more our heart hardens. The more we lie to our brother or sister in the Lord of our struggles, the easier it gets to hide our transgression. We see this in Scripture. And we've seen it in people's lives. If you're not careful, if you're not careful, that throne that you put yourself on at times might get too comfortable. And the next thing you know, you're an apostate. A.W. Pink states it this way. No one sets out to become an apostate. It's never the result of one abrupt, drastic turn away from the Lord. Instead, apostasy is most often the product of a pattern of sinful compromises that harden and gradually steer a professing believer away from the truth. He who endures to the end will live. He who falls away will perish. If you're in sin today, church, or anybody who just maybe you just stumbled onto this, and you're you're in sin today as a professed believer, as a Christian, the same call to you is the same call as an unbeliever, which is repent and believe the gospel. Right? Repent and believe the gospel. It's the gospel that justifies. It is the gospel that sanctifies. And it's the gospel that will bring us and raise us up to glorification on the last day. Where Jesus will say, where the Father will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So back to the text. Notice verse 7. Verses 7 and 8. Verses 7 and 8. I'm sorry. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. I love what the writer of Hebrews says here. I love what he does here. He, he gives us a sermon illustration. Right? Drawn out of the Old and New Testament. The two fields represent two kinds of persons. One who bears fruit and the other who doesn't. Bottom line, one who has a life of obedience and the other a life of disobedience. Dr. John Piper commenting on, on, the, on these uh, words stated, Worthless, cursed, destined for burning. That is the language of fire. The whole context tells us that more than a simple change of mind is involved. And they're falling away. What's involved is a life that is persistently fruitless. Unquote. That is the point here. That's the point of, of verse 7. The fruitless field. What brings the curse of God down on a person in this text is that they have drunk the rain of God's goodness year after year, but have not brought forth any fruit. They have heard the preaching of the gospel, sang the songs of praise, probably took the Lord's Supper, 
which most of the early church fathers interpreted tasting the heavenly gift as. Church, they showed up. They showed up to church. Hebrews 10.15 states that, do not forsake the assembling together. They might have followed that. Their obedience, their fruit though, was worthless in other cases. Like one guy said, showing up, uh, hanging out at McDonald's doesn't make you a Big Mac, right? Same thing. Hanging out in a church does not make you a Christian. And eventually these, these people here, they left, right? They became apostates eventually. He who falls away will perish, but he who endures to the end lives. Church, this is a hard warning passage, but... Don't miss the graciousness of God in this. Remember I mentioned earlier that the, the church was, the, the writer of Hebrews was addressing a, a predominantly Jewish um, congregation. Remember last time I spoke, I, um, I remember last time I spoke, at, it was more than Conqueror's ministry, I mentioned that God uses, the way he uses his word is remarkable. He uses his word, he uses passages like this as, as medicine, right? We call him the great physician. He's a great physician who uses his word as medicine. He knows what his patients need in a sense. Well, these Jewish Christians, they needed a warning that hit home, right? That was the medicine his true children needed. They needed something that would remind them of carrying out judgment on, on their people as a result of apostasy. And that's what we get here. We get, we get this here. Many commentators have pointed out <clears throat> that the words we see here in verse 4 through 6 was a, in this strong warning context, it's an allusion, allusion to Israelites' apostasy in the wilderness. I mean, think about it. God's covenant people were in the wilderness, right, witnessing the pillar of fire. They had the manna nourishing them. Their clothes or shoes didn't wear out. They had miracles going on before them often. And look what happened to them. Look what happened to them. Out of all those Israelites, how many of them Entered the promised land. How many? Right? Two. Joshua and Caleb. The writers warning the recipients of this letter. These Jewish recipients, uh, this, this Jewish congregation, and many of us today, that most people in the wilderness died in unbelief. They died in unbelief. And with the writer saying, don't, be, don't do the same. Don't do the same. And if you do, you will not be able to be restored to repentance. The Jews in the wilderness, they, they received so much grace from God. Amen? So much light coming into their lives 
And they continued to suppress the truth. To walk in unbelief. And this is the concern the writer has with these Jewish Christians who are tempted to go back to their old religion. To walk away from the truth. Again, this sounds a bit strange, right? Those are some radical, radical scary words. And again, God through the writer, is it saying the person can't repent? Or God won't bring them to repentance. He's saying it's impossible to bring you to repentance, right? Because he's, he's already given you all the light that he can possibly give you. From a, a, a God's perspective, from a divine perspective, the way we would see this, in, uh, especially from the Reformed tradition, is this is showing who the uh, true reprobates are. Right? Every, we've learned through scriptures that no one seeks God. No one fears God. No one understands God. No one's going to come to God. No one's going to believe. So God in His sovereign grace, right? Just imagine 10 people out there. The gospel's going out. If God sits back and does nothing, even with the gospel going out, no one's going to believe. But God in His sovereign mercy, He, he stores, He brings new people to life. He regenerates them. This is showing that these people, not that he hardens a heart and, and they're trying to believe and they can't. They're acting out their own volitional will. And they're giving God the high hand. They might be hanging out at the church, but deep down inside, there's no true, true repentance. Remember Esau, Jacob's brother. Hebrews 12 talks about Esau. He sold his birthright. For a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Look at that. There's a false repentance right there. He sought it with tears. Esau couldn't truly repent. Not in a biblical way. Sure, he begged his father. But it was more about the consequences that he would face. He didn't like the consequences of his actions. He didn't care about sinning before God, though. He didn't care that his birthright was from the hand of God, and he sinned willfully to God with a high hand. Same thing with Judas. After he betrayed Jesus, he, he threw the money back, right? Take the money. But he, he didn't have true repentance. He didn't have godly sorrow. There was no restoration for him. For Esau. This passage says there's no restoration for anyone who has gotten to the point, church, where their heart is so callous, so hard, that they cannot have true repentance. This is a warning. This is not hypothetical. It is not as some people think for true Christians who, if they fall away, will just lose their blessings. Not salvation. Some Christians would interpret it this way. This is not correct interpretation of this. 
This is a warning that has severe consequences. He who falls away will perish. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Will live. The truth is there are wheats and tares. Sheeps, goats mixed in with God's people. Right? There will always be that way. It will always be that way until Jesus comes back. To separate them. Right? Cast the hypocrites and the apostates to the pits of hell. Church, if you are watching right now, if you are watching this morning, as an unbeliever, repent. I plead with you, repent and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. And bear fruit unto repentance. You're not going to be saved by just making a decision. Right? Trust in Christ and bear fruit unto repentance, which will prove that your profession was true. Walk consistently with the Lord. Not perfect. None of us walk perfectly with the Lord. Martin Luther said the whole Christian life is a life of repentance. And, and I say amen to that, not just because I see it in the Bible, because I know through my, whole, my own life. Our heart is just so wicked without Christ. And when we're not in His Word, when we're straying away, and we're not together as a body, and there's so, so much temptations to not believe what God says, especially at this time. So church, if you're an unbeliever, repent and trust in Christ alone for salvation. Walk consistently with the Lord. You will fail at times, but Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice. His voice will pick you back up. Amen? To all you out there who understand that, true profess, true believers, you understand that from experience. God is such an amazing, amazing shepherd. His voice will pick you up. His word will pick you up. And if you're a professed Christian today, and you're walking in unrepentant sin. You have no desire to trust in Christ during this time. You have no desire to do the devotionals. Maybe if you're at NBC, you have no desire to meet with your mentee, your mentor, or even your mentee, if you're a mentor. You just no desire to share the gospel with an unbeliever. These words are for you specifically. Take heed lest you fall. Do not harden your heart. Or you could, as, oh, as the Israelites did, most of them, in the wilderness, you could fall away and become an apostate. Instead, respond rightly right, to, to John the Beloved's call in 1 John 1.9 where he says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Or the proverb to the humble heart says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one, the one who has a humble heart, the one who confesses and renounces their sins, finds mercy. 
Today is the day of repentance, church. Today is the day of repentance. Be restored today. Don't wait any longer. Oh, is it so true that the goodness of God is what leads us to repentance. And so that, that is just a glorious, glorious truth. Now let's go to verse 9, this last verse of our passage. My second point of the sermon. It's a brief one, but it's a powerful, powerful one. Encouraging word that I think comes from this verse. I'm, I'm sure of it. The second point is that those who endure to the end will live. The first point, the whole theme is those who fall away will perish. Those who endure to the end will live. The first point was those who fall away will perish. And here we have some, we have a lot of hope here. We have so much hope. Those who endure till the end, during this coronavirus time, these hard times, those who endure to the end, will live. The verse says, verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, but in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. How powerful is this? Remember the other, the other warning passage I mentioned earlier in Hebrews 10, after those harsh words to the congregation being brought from the sovereignty of God, being brought, that judgment of God brought on them. Remember that? There was an encouraging word there as well. To those who are truly walking with the Lord will endure to the end. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, this is what it says here, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. This is from chapter 10. In just a little while, while He who is coming will not delay. And, it's still chapter 10, and verse 38, but my righteousness will, my righteous one will live by faith. And I take to no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. And then verse 39. But we do not belong to those who shrink back. Sounds familiar, right? It sounds like chapter 6 here. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith are saved. But we do not belong to those who shrink back, church. But to those who have faith are saved. And then chapter 6 here, verse 9. Again, though we speak it this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Things that belong to salvation. He who endures to the end, church, will be saved. Remember, church, there's a mixed bag in the church, right? There's a mixed bag in the church. True believers and false believers. Well, now the writer has in mind the ones who are pressing forward, running the race, fixing their eyes on Jesus. And not perfectly, but consistently living a life of repentance and faith. They keep pressing in, falling down, allowing God to pick them back up, though. 
The writer can have assurance of their salvation. God can have assurance of their salvation. The writer can have assurance. He knows that these are the elect. He knows these are true believers who God loved before the foundation of the world. He knows that these are the ones who are in the, who are in the book of life. He calls them beloved. And he has assurance that they will endure. Church, the Bible teaches eternal security. My goal today was not to have true believers uh, doubt their salvation. That, that was not my goal. That wasn't my intention. My goal was to use God's word to strengthen to strengthen my brothers and sisters in Christ and wake us up to be motivated to keep trusting in Christ alone during this time and persevere to the end. He who endures to the end will be saved. And for those right now who are worried, if, if they have committed apostasy, maybe you, you are a true believer, but... Maybe you're one of them who has more of a sensitive soul in times like this. The fact that you're concerned is evidence that you probably aren't apostasy or you probably aren't in danger. The fact that you're concerned, you're examining your heart, you're wrestling, that's a good sign. It's a very good sign. Church, let's be united. Let's be united with Christ together and forsake any signs of apostasy. Let's praise God for all the blessings we have. Right? The songs of praise. The Word of God at our disposal. We have discipleship. We have small groups, even now with technology. We have small groups of prayer groups. God's sovereign hand of healing and His comfort all around us. Let us have saving enlightenment. Text talks about enlightenment, right? Let us have true saving enlightenment. Let us, by God's grace, taste, truly taste, the Holy Spirit in the heavenly gift the Holy Spirit brings. And bow to the goodness of God and endure to the end for the glory of the Son of God, by the sovereign hand of the Father God, by the power and sanctifying presence of the Spirit of God. As the hymn writer once wrote, Let us run with perseverance, pressing forward by God's grace, looking always unto Jesus, till we see Him face to face. In the day when we are tempted, and enticed to leave the way, let us keep our eyes on Jesus, and in Him we shall not stray. Amen? Thank you so much, guys. I hope you were edified. What a blessing to have God's Word, and uh, what a humble thing to be able to speak God's Word. I thank God that I had the time today as I got a couple days off this week. Let me close with prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, as I just said, for your word. I thank you for the faithful brothers and sisters who I see on the phone right here listening. And 
I just pray that your spirit will work in them and um, work in mine, work in my heart as well, Lord. My wife's heart, she was just listening, God, and I pray that others will listen to the sermon later on, God. Not, not, not merely for Metropolitan Baptist Church to be known to grow or anybody to know who I am, but for your Son, Father, to be exalted. We want your kingdom to, fur to, be, to further, to, to, to grow. Pray that unbelievers will come and see the power of the Holy Spirit through this sermon, Lord, and uh, see the power in, in your word, God. And I just pray that today we will cling to you, that we will live a life of repentance and faith. We know these prayers mean nothing. They hit the ground without your Son. So we thank you, Jesus, for living the life we failed to live, dying the death we deserve, raising from the dead, and being there at the right hand of the Father reigning, even in these times. We love you, God. We love you, Jesus. We pray this prayer in Jesus' powerful and beautiful name. Amen. Thank you, church. I love you guys so much. I miss everyone. Hope you have a blessed day. To God be the glory.